Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A very welcome to the late lunch, Orla Carmody in for my last day and it's been such fun. Barbara Scully in with you next week and then Jerry back the week after all going well. Lots to come on the programme today, but first a little appeal for help. I used to be a big U2 fan and then a marketing genius decided to put that album on the mobile phones. And I just had the great pleasure of updating my mobile phone. You know, the way they give you an update if you've been with the same service for, for, for a good while and they give you a good deal on it. And I updated my phone and I'm all delighted with my new phone and up pops that darn album again. So my appeal is to you, does anybody know how to take it off your phone? I used to be a fan. I now hate it because every time I get in the car, that album plays. Every time I switch on the phone here before the programme, I was listening to a few voice memos, getting myself ready and up comes that album to play again. I cannot believe it there. It's like a ghost haunting me. Anybody know, help me please, how to take that darn thing off my phone. And our number as always is 86 658 Now, on my ramblings out and around Louth and Meath, usually on my uh, e-bike, as I was telling you earlier in the week, I passed a lovely old tumble-down cottage with an old stone barn behind it and I thought oh my goodness what an amazing project that would be for a young couple. Not only could they do up the cottage to live in but they might even have a games room or something exciting in the barn or they might even let it and earn some of the money back to help them get started. And I know there's been a lot of negativity about the housing market and and, and trying to get on that property ladder but there are lots of supports available for people getting started and my next guest will have a lot of information that might be very useful for people trying to get on that ladder but also for all the mams and dads who are always trying to advise our young people on how to manage their money and how to get going. A very welcome to LMFM, Michael Dowling. You're a financial advisor so mortgages and the minefield and all the ins and outs are your your bread and butter. They are indeed Orla and thank you very much for the opportunity to, to, to talk to your audience today. Well now I mentioned there the old houses and we'll come to that in a moment and the particular supports that are available under the Cree-Conaha scheme. But let's start at the very beginning, which is the Help to Buy scheme, which is very uh, useful for first-time buyers trying to get themselves going. How does it all work? Yeah, like there are a number of initiatives that the government have brought in play with the objective of of increasing the amount of home ownership that's out there, and particularly for first-time buyers. So the incentive we're talking about first is the Help to Buy scheme. It was introduced by government in 2017 and it has been a phenomenal success. 
I mean, since that date, 856 million has been provided to first time buyers to assist them in buying their first home. That is a some huge sum of money. So it's obviously very real and it's working. Yeah, and, 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 and it is working. And you talk to developers, they will always say that it, it does make the difference for a lot of buyers in being able to buy their, their first home. So h- how does it work? I mean, in a, in a sense, it's to make up your deposit, because when you buy a house, you've got to produce 10 percent of the purchase price yourself. So the help to buy grant can be used as part of your deposit. A lot of people think out there, oh, I have to save 10 percent. And the help to buy comes in as well. No, the help to buy grant is, is, is also part of your deposit. So the maximum claim you can make is €30,000 or 10% of the purchase price, whichever is the lesser of the two. So while a lot of my business is done in and around Dublin, I mean, there are loads of parts of, of Ireland where prices are, 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 are lower. So um, a 30,000 uh, incentive is very significant. So the maximum claim is 30,000 or 10% of the purchase price. Now, the key thing about this is, though, is that it's based on your income tax over the previous years. So the couple will say the, the young couple starting out, the average couple, they'd have to have been in good jobs for the last few years in order to show that income tax. Yeah, it, it, it in effect is a refund of the tax you've paid over the previous four years. Um, and, and it's based like if it's a couple, it's both parties uh, income tax that they've paid over the last four years. Uh, if it's a single person, well, obviously, it, it, it's the income tax they've paid. A very simple way. There's two simple ways of finding out. Number one is when you're at the end of every year, you get a document called your employment detail summary. You download it from revenue.ie and that shows your gross income, your, your the tax you've paid and the PRSI you've paid. So there's one simple way of finding out over the last four years, how much will I qualify for? Or equally, the revenue have an excellent um, online service where you can key in your PPS number um, and your details, phone number, email, and they will send you back confirmation of how much you will get. Now, for a lot of people, it will be 30,000. But for others, if let's say they've only been working for the last year or two, or in a lot of cases, I find couples coming back from maybe America or Australia and, and they're only working for a year or two, they may qualify for less. But the revenue will confirm within a day or two, once you apply, how much you will qualify for. And this is going to go a long way towards putting that deposit together, as, as you've said. And will this help to buy stand good regardless of whether it's a new build, an old house, a self-build? Is this right across the board? No, it is only for new properties and it's only for first time buyers. We will later on in our discussion talk about other incentives for second hand houses and for second time buyers. But this is exclusively for new property an apartment or a house, it, it, it doesn't distinguish, but it must be new and you must be a first-time buyer. And would a self-build come under that yes, if that's a new build? Yeah, yeah, it so does indeed. So if you're self- lucky enough to have a site or daddy or uncle or somebody gives you a site, it could qualify oh, for that as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. Very and good. again, outside of Dublin, you'll find many more people buying or building their own home. So yes, the self-build is deemed to be a new property for the purposes of the Help to Buy grant. And it's all there, as you've said, on the Revenue website. So very easy to find out whether you're eligible for this, if you're eligible, how much you're eligible for, but it's a maximum of 30000 It is indeed. Just one or two other things that people should bear in mind. Number one, you must borrow a maximum of 70% of the purchase price to qualify. So even though you might borrow less than 70%, you won't get the grant 
grant, even though it's a new house and you're a first-time buyer. So just bear in mind, you must borrow 70% of the purchase price. One or two other things, it must be your family home. So you can't buy it and then rent out the property a couple of months later. It must be your family home. You must occupy. These incentives are there for those thousands and thousands of first-time buyers who want to get onto the property ladder. Um, You must live in the property for five years. So if you move um, from the property, sell it, or as I say, rent it, well, then you have to give back what you've received, but it's on a pro rata basis over the the five years. But if you live in it for the five years, because it is, there's no clawback. No clawback. This is a grant. No clawback. Nothing. uh, Nothing. And then just some small stats in relation to it. Like, um, as I say, 856 million has been claimed since 2017. Um, 26% of those claims have been for self-build properties. But interestingly, only 4% of the claims are from people who are self-employed. So the vast majority are people who are PAYE workers. Because uh, obviously they're the people with the predictable income and correct. they can actually... And, and self-employed income, like myself, maybe yourself as well, our income is is, is assessed slightly differently than a PAYE sure. person. So it's based on previous year's income. And it, as I say, that's the reason why less self-employed people will qualify then for PAYE. And but then it has been a success... Over 55% of the claims are in around the Dublin, Mead, Kildare areas uh, because that's where your main locations are. But but definitely it has been a success. And as I say, Good. builders, estate agents will always say it, it, it has. Moving on then to the first home scheme. Could I just say one other thing on the health yes. of it, it It is available uh, up to December 2024. So you have time and you must just sign the contract by December 2024. But the property can be completed in by December 2025. So still plenty of time out there for people to, to have a look at it. So the first home scheme then, this is an, a joint initiative between the government and several banks in order to again find a way of getting a bit of a support for young people. But this is an equity scheme. It's slightly different. You, yeah, ha- it, it, you do it, have to pay this one back. Yes, exactly. Now, th- this is a new scheme that came in last year. Minister O'Brien introduced it again as a part of another package to try and help first time buyers. And what we're looking at here is to try and bridge that gap between the deposit and the mortgage you've got and the purchase price. For a lot of first-time buyers, that gap is too big to be breached um, in terms of just their own savings. Even with the help to buy. Even with yeah. the help to buy. And and this one, this particular scheme is, is here to bridge that gap. So it started last year. I mean, it, it has been hugely successful, I'd have to say. The initiative is between, as you say, government and the three pillar banks, AIB, Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB. Just remember, small thing, AIB own EBS as well. So they're also included. So all of those banks are included. Those three banks will account for 90% of all mortgages written in the country. So all, all of those banks um, have the product available. Again, it must be a new property. So again, these incentives Only are a new property. Yeah. And again, it must be your family home. So you must live live in the property. And you must commit, presumably, to staying in it again for the five years or whatever oh, well, the period is. Mm. In a sense, it's slightly different in that you can sell it after two years, but 
the share you get from government, you've got to pay that back. So th- that's how government retrieve uh, what, what, what they've offered you in this case. But either way, it doesn't matter if you stay in the property for 20 years, you're still going to have to pay this one back. Ab- absolutely. So so the way it works is, let's say you, you found a new house at €375,000. Now, interestingly, there are price ceilings for every county in Ireland. And I took 375 because for Louth, that's the maximum purchase price you can pay in order to qualify for the first home scheme. It's it's larger in other parts of the country. But if we just take Louth as an example, so if you find a new property at 375000 and let's say between your mortgage and the deposit you've got, you've got 300000 so there's a gap there of 75,000, which is 20% of the purchase price. The government will give you that 20% to make up the shortfall to allow you buy your first home. But now they own that little chunk in your house. Oh yeah, absolutely. So 20% of the property is owned by government. You must pay it back but there's no time restriction on when you pay it back. If you're in that house in 30 years time, you can pay it back in 30 years time. Now, one thing to bear in mind, there is a cost or a charge uh, after year six. So for the first five years, you have no interest to pay on the money that you got from government. But from year six onwards, you're charged an interest rate of 1.75%. Year 16 to 25, it's 2.15. And if you happen to be there for 30 years or more, the interest rate is 2.85. Michael, I'm going to have to stop you there for a moment. This is really interesting. We're with Michael Dowling, a financial advisor, who's telling us all about how young people can get started on the housing market and all the various different supports are available. We're going to come back to Michael in just a moment, but in the meantime, we'll take a break. We're with financial advisor Michael Dowling and he's helping us understand all the different supports that are available for people trying to get started on the housing market. And just to say, Michael has very kindly put all of this information we're listening to on a fact sheet and Louise is going to share that on the LMFM website afterwards. So if it sounds a bit complicated, don't panic. It's all going to be written down and you'll be able to download it to share it with anyone in your life who's actually trying to to buy or build or get going on the housing market. Now, Michael, we were just finishing up there on the first home scheme and we're going to talk about the fresh start principle which is for people who might be separated or divorced or need to need, need to need to move into a new home for any variety of reasons. Exactly. Look, this has always been a challenge in terms of when a relationship breaks down and, and a property has to be sold or one party has to buy out another. So in relation to anybody who, who has experienced a, a marriage or civil partnership breakdown, once they're no longer on the title to the family home of that relationship, they can also avail of the benefits of the first home scheme. So this is a very welcome initiative for those who find themselves in in those situations. So again, a welcome initiative. They don't get the help to buy grant because they're not first-time buyers, but they do qualify for the first home scheme and the incentives that apply there. Because it's considered a new first home, as in it's a new new family unit. Exactly, yeah. As I said, it's a fresh start. You're moving on with your life after a very difficult period. It gives, so you're not going to be immediately outside being able to buy a property. Very good. And again, as you say, the same uh, things available in terms of the percentages and all of that available to anybody in that position, which is really 
really, really uh, useful to know. The other property scheme we wanted to look at today was the one I mentioned at the very start, the Tumbledown Cottage. There's a real interest in actually putting new life into those, particularly in rural areas in Louthan Meath, where there are a lot of those lovely old cottages that might be repurposed. There's a lovely scheme called the Cree Conaha scheme. How does that work? Yes, it is. And again, another welcomed initiative from government. So this applies to vacant or derelict properties and we'll explain the definition in a moment and there's a grant available for you to refurbish those properties. So if we take uh, the uh, vacant properties there's a grant of up to €50,000 available in order to refurbish a vacant property. Just two simple definitions. The property must be vacant for a minimum of two years and the property must have been built before 2007, which most properties, though the type of property you were talking about earlier, Orla, uh, would be like. So, so this is a very, as I say, a welcome initiative. The second then initiative is if the property is derelict, so in that sense, derelict is that it's defined as being structurally unsound and it's also dangerous. Now, if you're buying a property like that, you're going to get a professional to advise you and they'll be able to confirm that to you. And you need to have a lot of energy to take on those ones. Oh, you do. But they're but very cute, a lot of them. Very interesting, old stone, lots of reasons yeah, to do it. We see many of the, the, the programmes on, on housing and people restoring old property. I mean, fundamentally, they were very well built in when they were built. It's just they're not up to modern standards. And tell me, uh, Michael, under this scheme, does it actually have to be a house that was lived in once upon a time. Could it be a barn or a shed or a oh, cow parlour or a stable? No, or it, it, it has to have been a house of some description in, in, in the past. But on the, on the second one, the, 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 the derelict property, the grant is up to 70000 that's available on, on that. So these are very welcome grants. And bear in mind as well, Orla, that you could also maybe get be entitled to some of the grants from the SEAI, like the, you know, if you, if you put in, say, solar heating, or if you put in water pumps, they're all available on top of what this grant is. Now, obviously, the other schemes we were talking about earlier are not available to this one because they all have to be new bills or whatever. So, in terms of somebody doing this one, 70,000 grand sounds great, but they mightn't get a mortgage because we're looking at something tumble down. How do they get going on this particular yeah, one? No, it's one of the challenges uh, Orla, in relation to it because you only get the money after you do the work. So, for a lot of uh, people who would be interested in this price, they really need the money up front to do it. And they don't get that deposit scheme either, do they? No, they they don't. No, no, they don't. So how do they get going? Yeah. So, well, look, Firstly, what they need to look at is they need to what an effect they're buying is the site because all it is is a site. But banks will lend to do up a site in the context. They lend you the money on a staged payments basis. But the weakness in this scheme, and though it is welcome, is that you don't get the money up front. You've got to do the work first. So you may have to maybe get a loan from the credit union or you may have to tap into mum and dad to get that loan. And then you will get the 50 or the 70,000 refunded to you when the work is done. It's all done through your local authority as well. So bear in mind, unfortunately, as we know, some local authorities are very proactive. Some are not in terms of their response to these type of schemes. There's Uh, a Facebook scheme, actually, a Facebook uh, page supporting the people interested in the Cree Conahan. I was looking at it and lots of comments back and forward. And obviously a huge difference depending on which county you're in, in terms of how quickly the local authority. 
authority so respond yeah, to you. It, it is, and it's like other initiatives that are there. Some counties are good, some some are not so good. Okay, well, look, Michael, that's absolutely really useful to all of us. I'm delighted to hear that. Um, I hope we haven't blinded people with all the science, but as I've said, you've a lot of information on your fact sheet that we'll be glad to share, and uh, hopefully we've given some people a little incentive in terms of getting going at the property ladder. Michael Downing, financial advisor, thanks so much for joining us today on LMFM. We're back after this. Now there was a lovely song back in the day by Sting and it was called An Englishman in New York and I was humming it this morning thinking of, about my next guest who is a Kerry man in Louth. Opera singer Gavin Ring you're very very welcome to LMFM today. Orla it's lovely to be here thanks so much for having me. And you know um, when you say the Englishman in New York and he was an alien I'm an illegal alien you're no more an alien you're nearly more loud than the rest of us put together at this point. Well you know I was on RT Radio 1 last night and um, Sean Rocks uh, pointed out a a poignant headline uh, to that effect Uh, I think it might have been in the Argus or the Drogheda Independent I'm not sure but uh, I was described as a loud opera singer so look at I'm loud and I'm proud here today (laughs) Well I'm a bit the same I live in East Meath and you know I've been sort of adopted I've I've called Drogheda my hometown it's my adopted hometown for the last nearly 25 years so it just becomes part of who you are doesn't it? Of course absolutely look I'm living here now since 2015 uh, I married a lovely loud woman so um um yeah I've 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 loved every second of living here in County Lowell. It's a fabulous part of the country. You were in Carlingford yourself and your lovely wife, Nicola, and your we family. Were. You were in Carlingford, but you've moved to Blackrock. We have. We did. We were um, very fortunate, fortunate enough uh, to um, buy a house in Blackrock there a couple of years ago. So we're uh, we're settled there now and the kids are in St. Francis School there in Blackrock. And uh, yeah, absolutely loving it and a bit closer to her parents as well, which is nice too. Well, that is lovely. And yourself and Nicola, I know, are opera singers. And when sometimes when people hear about opera and opera music they say oh I've no interest in that and then they meet somebody like you and you're full of the crack and full of devilment and there's <laughs> nothing stuffy or opera about you really is there? No not at all no 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 the glamour uh, I suppose I, I'll, I'll leave that to another clientele no I suppose like look at, I, I'm from Kerry originally and um, you know where we're from there's no airs of graces like no matter what you're doing you could be uh, you could be an opera singer you could be Bill Gates you could be you know you could be doing anything that type of thing but if you're if you know, you keep your feet on the ground, as they say. Did you always know you were going to be a singer? Did you have a little inkling when you were a young fella? Well, I suppose I did, yeah. I mean, it was something that was always in my bones. It was something that was always seemed to be kind of in or around my area of interest. Um, I think my earliest experience, I, I was about four or five years old. I remember hearing opera for the first time. And I remember being spellbound by it. It just sort wow. of, I just caught the bug I suppose it just spoke to you it really did yeah it really really did and I suppose you know it was it, it, I I, re- I realised that dream as it were when I went to St Finian's College in Mullingar um, I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to get one of the scholarships there um, the music scholarships and um, that's where I started getting my voice trained and I suppose my musicianship um, trained as well you know and did you get a bit of slagging from the lads about oh, doing that opera stop. stuff you know it's his gas actually coming up here to, to Drogheda and, and County Louth in general because um, there used to be fierce rivalry in the football between St Finian's and the, the likes of let's say Joey's here in Drogheda and things like that we used to in fact I, I play quite a few games of football up in Termafek and in the sen- Leinster Senior Colleges you know um, but yeah when I first went to St Finian's in Mullingar I got a fair <laughs> I got a fair slagging from being from Kerry which of course was fierce alien to me at the time because like you Kerry know they were saying the centre of the universe of course yeah I hadn't ventured I, you know I barely ventured outside 
the, the, the county bounds to Cork, like, you know, and um, I suppose when I, when I when I got there, all right, they were saying, oh, they were kind of taking off my accent and I thought this was fear strange. But, you know, it's just funny, actually, because I have a kind of a musical ear. After a while, <laughs> I started adopting the Westmead accent or the Mead accent, you know. To blend in. Yeah, yeah and I, like sort of, and I didn't even realise, my sister used to joke at me, like, you know, sometimes so I'd be at home and I'd be talking to her with my Kerry accent and the next thing I'd get a call from one of my friends from Kells or Navin or even RD or somewhere like that. And next thing, the voice, the, the, the accent would change and I'd start talking with that accent. She says, you're, 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 you're a strange kettle of fish you are, but tis the musical ear, uh, apparently, that I found out that, that makes you do that, you know. Well, I love listening to your Kerry accent. My dad was from Tralee and it is a real throwback for me. And funny, he was the same. He lived in Dublin all his life and yeah. he got very sort of Dublin or very middle of the road sort of an accent. And then he'd pick up the phone to somebody from Kerry. How are you? Bye. And it would all be back. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, who's that man? That's not my father. Was well, so you funny. know, on top of that, my wife Nicola, of course, the wonderful soprano, um, she has a very musical ear too. And I hear her now around the house like with a Kerry accent from time to time. Like, you know, so it is nice. It's very singing songy and things like that not unlike the loud accent I suppose as well you know Now I know you have a hundred ventures on the go and we want <laughs> to hear about your Christmas season in the Thon Arts Centre in Dundalk but you also have just taken over the classical music series in Drogheda which was started by Pauline Ashwood I think 11 years ago That's right Imagine bringing high level opera to Drogheda it was wonderful how did that come about and what are you going to do with it now? Well first of all I'm thrilled to have succeeded the wonderful Pauline Ashwood who a lot of your listeners will know and will know of um, she's built something truly remarkable here in Drogheda a, a big sort of philosophy of mine uh, for a long time Orla has been the democratisation of classical music so taking it out of the likes of Dublin and Cork and Galway and Belfast and bringing it to provincial and rural areas such as Drogheda um, and, uh, and that has been a thing that I've done all my life so I am hugely excited. I am so thrilled to have gotten the reins of Drogheda Classical Music. I've performed there myself over the last uh, 10 years or so. I've had two or three occasions where I've graced the stage at St. Peter's, one of the most beautiful venues in the country with one of the best acoustics in the country. And um, so, as I say, to now be in charge of it is a huge honour. And I'm hugely excited about the upcoming season. It's a fantastic season and you know seasons come and go when it comes to arts organisations and arts you know groups and, and series and festivals like this but this really is quite special and I can't really see any concert that wouldn't prick the interest of even let's say the the the, the most novice of classical music goers Well one of the things I noticed about it myself I and mean, we've gone along to it and we've brought our young people and you know it, it's not stuffy and Pauline used to always get up at the start of it and say right we're going to hear tonight from this person and that person and it was kind of putting the opera in context to you now of course you have to sit quietly and listen to classical music yes. but at the start it was so explained and set up for you that you were set up for enjoyment I always felt anyone could ramble in there on a Friday night or a Saturday night after work you know there's nothing yeah. there's nothing fancy about it just turn up listen enjoy the music and educate yourself a bit about classical music absolutely maybe. and like I suppose sometimes there's a perception out there uh, Orla that you know classical music is only for a certain clientele it is only for certain people maybe who understand it or like it's only for certain people whose pockets are deep or something like that that it's something sort of ordnosoch as we'd say 
down in Kerry, you know, kind of snobby or something like that. It's not that at all. Sure, if that was the case, a young an, an old garçon like me from <laughs> Kerry wouldn't have got involved in opera at all. You know what I mean? Um, but it's it is for everybody, and you know, I didn't like. Obviously, we have a wonderful support base here in Drogheda and around the Louth, Mead area, and even North Dublin as well. And we're really looking forward to welcoming them, welcoming them all back to St Peter's for our opening concert, which was on the twenty fourth of September, just a, a Sunday week, as it were. But I would encourage anybody to have a go because you just don't know if you're going to catch the bug, and if you do, it just enriches your life to a degree that I find an awful lot of other musics perhaps don't have the same power to do. Well, it's very interesting because I've often seen people at the series in St. Peter's Church with, you know, youngsters. Not that young, obviously, but maybe 10, 11, 12, whatever. And it's clearly that parents are bringing their kids along to piano lessons or guitar lessons or whatever. And then to see their faces light up when they see, so this is what I've been banging away on the piano at home. This is what I've been trying to achieve. It's lovely. I love to see young people at it because it just kind of opens up their eyes to what is possible, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you've been a music teacher yourself and Nicola has over the years. I a hundred percent. I mean, like uh, I trained as a primary school teacher. Actually, originally that was my my original calling card. And actually, during the pandemic, of course, when all the theatres closed and the concert halls closed and we had to sort of you know reassess our whole lives I went back teaching in the primary school I did an awful lot of teaching um, particularly on the Cooley Peninsula there and I would have brought opera and classical music into the classroom on a regular basis and the response was phenomenal it sort of validated in a way an awful lot of the reasons that I got into classical music in the first place because it has that power you know it's one of the pinnacles of human achievement and the side, the other side of the coin as well you asked a question there is like you know why would you bring something like this to Drada well why not build it and they will come I've I mean my own hometown of Carsavine in County Kerry I've, I've adopted that attitude put on the performance bring down La Boheme you know put on international standard classical music and people will turn up they'll experience it for the first time and maybe some people won't like it but an awful, peop- an awful lot of people do they, because it is just so attractive. Your passion for this is absolutely extraordinary, Gavin. <laughs> and those kids were so lucky to have you in the classroom <laughs> for as long as they had you. It must have been just great fun. Tell me about the series, the Christmas series in the Thon and in Dundalk as well, because I know yourself and Nicola are going to be performing together, which is amazing. That's right. Well, look, we had wonderful success on RTE's um uh, Christmas from the castle uh, last year on Christmas Eve when myself and Nicola we performed the centrepiece of Holy Night with the RT Concert Orchestra and the um, Dublin City University Chamber Choir and uh, it was a real high point for both of us um, we had dreamt of doing that gig as it were and uh, it got the both of us thinking you know why don't we do something similar um, in our, our locality where we're from and um, obviously Nicola's a proud Dundalk woman so we decided to put on a, a Christmas gala at Unthon Theatre uh, in Dundalk and that will be on the 7th of December this year so you can check out unthon.ie uh, for the tickets there but we'll be singing all your Christmas favourites uh, with some classical some Broadway some Irish stuff there'll be something for everybody and um, sure myself and Nicola we do have a ball on stage so 
when I always say when, when, when the performers are having a ball the audience tend to have a ball as well It must be absolutely lovely to, to perform with your beloved in, in life and in music <laughs> and in everything Are your kids getting into the music? As they, a are, they are They yeah. are You know they're all good singers which is I suppose lovely. no turnout for the books but uh, no they've, they've started studying piano now and things like that which is lovely but yeah there's, they, they, they seem to have an interest in it which is great and um, yeah I mean like music is I consider it's like the superfood of life and that's as well why I would encourage anybody out there listening today to come and try it out for yourself at the Drata Classical Music Series. The wonderful thing about the Drata Classical Music Series is that it brings international star talent uh, to the northeast of Ireland. As I say, democratises classical music. But also on top of it, uh, we have um, just as many of the cream of the crop of Irish um Artists as well, the likes of Fineen Collins, Jesse Grimes, uh, John Finuc and Michael McHale. The Irish Baroque Orchestra, of course. So, you know, get out there and, and come into us and we'll welcome you with open arms. Well, thank you so much for that, Gavin Ring. We look forward to that very much. And thank you for coming into us in LMFM today. It's just a pleasure to listen to you. I could listen to you all day. Oh, but we have to take a break. Now, public speaking is one of those big spe- fears. It's up there with their arachnophobia, the, the fear of spiders. People go on about how tough it is to speak. And, you know, I was at a wedding recently and there was the usual father of the bride speech. And then there was a mother of the bride speech. And then there was the groom speech. And then the bride got up to speak. And it was just fabulous. And the speeches were amazing. And it's a real way of people saying, you know, this is a happy day and they want to celebrate it. And I loved it. And I loved that the women spoke as well. But I Obviously, one of the ways you learn to speak is with an organisation called Toastmasters. It's an international worldwide organisation and it helps people get over the, the confidence thing, but it also gives them really good tools and techniques to use that will allow you become a great public speaker. I've never been at a branch meeting. I've never been a member. And yet I'm always telling people to go to, to Toastmasters. And I'm joined now today by two members of the Navin branch who are celebrating their 30th anniversary, Michael McGann and Patricia Foley. You're very, very welcome. I'm going to start with you, Patricia. How did you get involved in wanting to be a public speaker yourself? How did that come about? Well, I went back as a mature student to do my teaching degree in 1981-84 and on my final teaching practice an inspector came in. He wasn't the nicest person I'd ever come across and in a very loud voice his recommendation at the end of the class was you'd want to do something about your voice or the children at the back will never hear you. And I was a little bit upset over it and I mentioned it in the staff room. And one of the teachers said to me, I'm in Toastmasters, why don't you come along? You'll soon find that you're able to project your voice as well as anybody. And I well, did. wasn't that a very unfair thing to say? I mean, talk about diminishing your confidence rather than I building know. it. And that's one of the things we learn in Toastmasters. When you're evaluating somebody, you do it in a supportive way. You can get the message across, but it doesn't destroy them. And are you now, would you say, a very confident public speaker? I'm as confident. Well, I feel I am. It's up to other people to judge. But after 40 years, you have to have learned quite a lot. I enjoy Toastmasters immensely. There's a great mix of people in it. You have men and women, which you don't always have in clubs. You can quite often get an awful lot of women, no men. And... Uh, and older and younger. And there is, of course, the argument that um, public speaking is a muscle like any other. Take it to the gym, work it out, it'll get better. We say that, jump straight in, start speaking straight away, don't wait to be asked. We have impromptu speaking and anybody can speak at that. Have a go, in a safe kind of a space. Pat, what's your, or sorry, Michael, what's your own story? How did you get involved? 
My own story, I worked for a large corporate um, corporation and I really came, I come from a technical background and I really struggled down with doing big presentations, um, large meetings, presentations to the board. Death really, by PowerPoint. Death by PowerPoint. Lots of. Yes. And especially when you come from a, from a very technical background, I, I really struggled with that. And it was one day I was asked to do like an all hands presentation and I dreaded it. It took me weeks to prepare and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. So then I said, I, this is when I said, I have to do something about it. I joined Toastmasters in Navin, and that was about eight years ago. Now, subsequently, I you know, basically went in and did an icebreaker where you just talk about yourself for five minutes. And then after that, I just did, you know, as Ted said, one of the Ted Corkin, one of the past presidents there of the International Toastmasters, he said, just Mike, just say yes. Just keep on doing, keep on saying yes. What was your first night like, though? That moment when the spotlight was on you and they said, right, Michael, on your feet, talk for a few minutes. Did you die? I I was prepared. So basically it helped me to prepare. For you knew it. So they were going to land on you. They knew they were going to do it. There was no surprise. It's just really... It's in a really, um, the environment is so encouraging and you feel like you're with friends. But all I remember after the after the first meeting was the high that I was on and the confidence. And then afterwards I did, you know, I just kept on doing the next one, the next one, the next one. and kept on going forward and kept, every time you do a speech or you talk, you gain in confidence. And it's got to the stage then in work, I was actually volunteering to do presentations for the award, volunteering to do, you know, take on additional um, speaking, you know, whatever it was, presentations, speaking at seminars. Previously, I never would have dreamed of doing that. And not just from a work perspective, but um, in my personal life as well, I found I was actually volunteering to go forward and do more, a lot more. So there was, um, we did a community project during COVID. The kids were there. We did the community garden. It was fantastic. And the local was in the local newspaper. And RTE said, we come out and we'd interview you and the kids. All the adults said, no way. All the kids said, yes, we'd, we, we, we'd be on TV. But none of the adults. I said, yes, 100%. And I got that confidence from Toastmasters on the radio, on the television. and It's very interesting to hear that, that you're somebody who starts with a great reluctance to speak because you just, you know, get tied up doing it. And then you suddenly turn into this person who's volunteering to do it in all kinds of occasions at work and at home. That It's, it's a wonderful organisation. How did it start, um, Patricia? It started internationally many years ago. It did. It, it came to Ireland in about in the 60s. I think it was the early 60s. Two clubs started up, the Dublin Club and the Ablana Club, and the Ablana was the one I joined. And interestingly enough, women were not allowed into it in America or wherever, wherever else it had started up. But here in Ireland, you know, we're very good at finding an Irish solution to an Irish problem. So they enrolled women but they gave them men's names on the registration form. So they were to actually get around the rules. That. But yeah. imagine, imagine the rules were back then that Isn't women couldn't unbelievable? join. Extraordinary. Unbelievable. But and that's that's how that came about. But it's worldwide now. At one stage, I have down in the resume, I gave you that um, I went to the World Championship. I represented Ireland and the UK in Washington. But in the final, there was only one non-American. Everybody else was American. So it was mainly an American organisation, which 
no, people gradually that brought spread out. But it must world. have been very interesting to go to that international conference and to meet people who are interested in this public speaking from all over the world. Did you make, make lots of nice new friends there and, and no. share ideas? No. no. I, felt, I felt actually, I went with the wrong attitude. I felt it was very intimidating and all I could think of was, God, I hope I don't forget the speech. I hope I don't fall off the stage. And in fact, something disastrous did happen to me in the middle of it. They they had made up the stage with two huge, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, but that, that they pushed together. So there was a little split between them mm. and they were covered over with carpet. And I arrived all dolled up to the nines, got up on it. And part of it was you, you have to show body language and you have to walk around and all of this sort of thing, which I had practised and I was doing. And all of a sudden, my high heel went down through the carpet and in between the two so that's oh, put no. a stop to my wandering around. I had to actually think, will I step out of the shoes or will I just stand in the one spot? So I stood in the one spot and there I was. But isn't that a great point, Patricia, that the whole thing of public speaking is about um, things may go wrong. The PowerPoint might die. The power cut might happen in the hotel. And you have to just keep going. Isn't that the whole exactly, thing about yeah. the confidence to yeah. learn to just keep going? Absolutely. Yes. And you kept going on the day. I kept going, but it it was difficult because it was all it was going through my head all the time. I wasn't focusing on what I should have been focusing on, but I got there. It was a great experience. And in your sort of career as speaking, Michael, which was the the best event you ever had, and and maybe the worst event? Give me the two extremes. I think the worst event is when you before joining Toastmasters, um, doing wedding speeches, stuff like that. I used to absolutely dread it. Uh, the you know I couldn't wait until the meal was over and the speeches were done. I dread it. You know all of those type of public speaking. Now, the the best experience is I actually was involved in. So this year we sponsored youth leadership training and we went to our boys' school and we do a an eight week training course and. At the end of it, then all the students, they, you know, a number of students came up at their graduations and gave speeches. Now, the best kind of moment for me was I got up and I did a speech, introduced them, to, you know, telling the students and teachers what what youth leadership was about. And then what I also did is, uh, you know, I got up and did that speech and then the students got up and give the, gave their speeches as well. So for me, that was kind of most must be wonderful to see young people coming along and, you know, getting to the space where they will actually speak and not build up those fears that adults sometimes build up, that if they have dealt with that at a young age, it's not going to become a thing for them as an adult. Yeah, and you see, yeah exactly. You see these, these kids and they, they go from zero you know, not saying a word. And after eight weeks, you can't shut them up. You know, they're literally volunteering for everything. But it's not just about public speaking. They're learning leadership skills, interview techniques. There's loads of different skills they're learning there that they'll use for the rest of their lives. So when you see the kids, when they start to where they become, you know, proficient speakers, organising meetings, interviewing each other. That's what it's all about. So for anybody who's curious about this, Patricia, might like to go along to one of the meetings in Navan. When are they on and what can they expect on that first night? They're on the first and third Wednesday of every month. They, our next meeting is the... Do the math there, someone, quickly. Anyway, first and yes. third, third Wednesday, Wednesday of every, every month. Every We're month. good. You come along, you're, you're made aware that there is no pressure on you to speak if you don't want to. But if you would like to, introduce yourself maybe. Um, but the first you along. meeting, you might just like to listen and get to know Absolutely, what's happening. That's yeah. OK too. And you can, there, there's a, a whole part, section of the meeting, which is impromptu speaking. 
and you have a topics master who will give a topic, what's your favourite book, whatever. And um, they can speak of that. That's a fairly easy one. And uh, then they can listen to the the prepared speeches and then the evaluations, which are very important, of those prepared speeches. So the, and then when if you do decide to come back again, even before joining, you can agree to take maybe read a poem. Just do something, something to hear your voice mm-hmm. yes, out loud in front of the room full of people. standing up yeah. and looking down at these faces can terrify people. And just to get that out of the way. Well, Michael McCann and Patricia Foley of Navin Toastmasters, congratulations on your 30th anniversary. Um, you've done great work over the years, no doubt, helping people to get over that fear and to get up and hear their voice. And we all need to have our voices heard. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Thank you so much for joining us today and continued success with Toastmasters Navin. Back after this. Now, we were talking there about all the things you need to know about making speeches and public wedding speeches and so on. And as Patricia and Michael were leaving there, they're from Toastmasters and Navin, they asked me to remind you all that in Cavan Crystal, on the premises of Cavan Crystal, on the night of Wednesday 27th of September, at half past seven, there's a special night being hosted by Toastmasters all about wedding speeches. So if you need to learn about how to do a good wedding speech, that's the one for you, Cavan Crystal, on the night of Wednesday 27th of September at half past seven. Now, the Boyne Valley Trails September Walking Festival kicks off next week. It's between the 18th and the 24th of September and there's all kinds of events going to happen and um, I'm very interested to hear about this. I did the Camino, the, the Boyne Valley Camino uh, one day myself and a pal we took off to do it and we got hopelessly lost and ended up beating our way through the bushes uh, up along the, the the canal there in the Boyne and finally a fisheries guy popped up out of the bushes and said are you lost ladies? Would you like to point me to the road? Would you like us to point you to the road? And he did and we found ourselves home. A lovely day out with my friend and walking buddy Fiona Nolan but as I said we we would hopefully stick to the trail the, the next time but I'm joined now by Martina and Martina you're part of the Boyne Valley Walking Festival but you're particularly interested in Nordic walking and I'm fascinated to hear about Nordic walking because it burns up more energy and gets you more exercise and does all kinds of things more than normal walking. Martina Farrell you're very welcome. Oh thank you. Hi Orla. Um Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Do you want to talk um, about the festival first or the Nordic walking? Your choice. Yeah, sure. Should we do the festival? Will we? Lovely. Do that because that's aimed at everybody. Okay. okay so, as you said, it's from the 18th to the 24th of September. Um, there's loads of different walks. You've got um, you've got Anthony Murphy from Mythical Ireland coming uh, um, and he's going to be doing amazing walks and ancient history. Uh, you've got Dusty Flanagan doing the Camino and um, I would definitely recommend uh, following him the next time. I should follow time. him and don't get yeah. lost indeed. <laughs> I think so. Then you've got Brendan Matthews and he's um, a great historian and knows everything you need to know about Drada. Amazing man. You've got Des Grant. He's doing the John uh, Jameson Whiskey Tour of Drada. Very interesting. Uh, you've got Lisa Kennedy. She is doing the mindful walk um, in the Augustinian Garden of Remembrance. Now that would be lovely. Just you could like you could be doing your shopping all day and just walk in back the Augustinian and just have an hour of peace. And is that the wonderful got, thing yeah. about walking, Martina, yeah. that you can do it oh. at your own level and you can do it at your own pace and there's something for everybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's just a couple more. There's Grania Rafferty. She's doing the Drogheda Walls family fantasy walk and, and she is such fun to go with. This is for children. I would I, I think I'd grab one of my children's my neighbour's children and go on that one myself. And then at the end of it all, you've got the Boyne Trad Festival. Plus, you don't even have to walk. You can go to the Punt 
um, and there's going to be talks there and in the Barbican. So I think I've mentioned everybody. So it's a whole mixture of culture and heritage and activity. Just go on to bindevalleytrails.ie um, and uh, they're all there and you can book them. Now, some, some are booked up, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just a fantastic. It's the second year of the festival and it's run by Fall to Ireland. So it's just fantastic. Get out and move and get that body moving. Get out and move, yeah, yeah. But now tell me, Nordic walking is where you use the big poles and it's becoming yeah. really popular in the northeast. How did it all it get started? Sure is. OK, well, um, a couple of years ago, um, I was doing an online uh, course, kind of a keep fit thing, and kind of doing 10 minute hits and stuff. And the lady on there, she had poles and she was, um, she kept going back. She was teaching fitness, but she kept going back to this Nordic walking with poles. And I go, what is that? And she had a bad knee. I had a bad knee. And she said, uh, she says, I always go back to this. I love it most. So I looked it up and I did a diploma myself and Valerie Leddy. She's not in the business anymore, but she's always there for me. Um, she, uh, we both went and did um, a, a diploma with, um, uh, Nordic um, uh, uh, in England in the British the Nordic walking yeah thank you thank you yeah sorry I'm a little nervous um, yeah with British Nordic walking and we got a diploma there so um, yeah so I brought it back to Ireland then and I started the business well one of the things about Nordic walking I know is because you use these tall poles you have to stand quite upright which is very good for your back. Yeah. My mum is 93 and she walks every day okay. and she was told help use poles or use something that helps you stay upright because you're not leaning over. That's right. Yeah so the the main thing the, the thing for me is the posture. The second you hold a pole your posture changes. So you're pushing into the poles. Your um your back is just straightening up. So you're walking um, very straight for one hour. So it's an exercise. Nordic walking is it, it's it's a workout in a walk. So we're adding poles to our everyday walk. Um, so you're using ninety percent of the body's muscles. So therefore, you're burning calories. You can burn up to forty percent more calories, depending on how um, if you have a good technique. I teach a good technique in my introduction class, um, and it's great for weight loss. You're also you're walking inside in nature. So that's great for your mental health. And then um, obviously because you're using your arms, as you say, you're using so many of the body's muscles, but you're particularly yeah. using your arms. So you're getting toned arms as well as the toned oh, legs. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Because it's a full, it's a, it's a full, you're getting an upper body workout as well. Because when we're walking, we're using our legs. So the top half of us is just kind of swinging, you know, the, the arms are swinging along. So now we can, um, you, you get a bo- upper body workout as well. It's 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 fascinating. I mean, it's like I can't do, um, I can't jog. I used to, yeah, I jogged a little. Like, you know, the the um, catch to five k or par- so park was, runs, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, you, you, if you, I couldn't. I I love the hit you got from that, the endorphin hit, and I couldn't get it anymore because I hurt my knee. So um, I have a knee injury there the whole time. But when I have the poles in my hand. Um, you get a complete workout because you're holding the poles differently. And do you, you're Martina, holding, do you yeah. organise now group walks using the poles? Yeah, yes, I do. First, you do the introduction to Nordic walking. That's an hour and a half. So um, you find out the benefits of Nordic walking, how to do it, the technique that's used. And then you can join the weekly walks. I've walked for, um, on a Tuesday or Wednesday and then a pop-up walk at the weekend and then I've got the long walk um, uh, once a month. So... Yeah, in Navin and in Drogheda. And where but do you the get the poles if you want to take yeah. this up? Where does one get the I poles? I have got the poles. I have the poles. 
I have a whole set of poles if you want to try it out. And are they expensive to buy? They're, you can go for anything from 65 euro up to 300 it's like the bikes, isn't it? You Somebody buys a bike yeah. and then somebody else buys a better one and somebody else buys a yeah. better one. So there's obviously <laughs> exactly. ranges in the poles. You can go for the basic there ones is. or you can go for the super yeah. deluxe ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you can go for the really basic ones, but I don't recommend them. The ones in, in that store, that very popular store, that are for, they're for about 20 euro, but they break. Ah, but I suppose they might even give somebody just a feel for it and see, do they like it before they'd invest in something more solid that's going to actually support you? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't tell anybody to invest until you come to the Introduction to Nordic Working course, see what it's like, see if you like it, and then um, you can can join the weekly walks. But there is quite a lot in it because when you're walking with the poles, um, they're angled backwards, they're a lighter pole. You know with a trekking pole you have in front of you? Yes, Okay, so you're walking with a trekking pole and it's great for balance. When you've got a Nordic walking pole, you're pushing it behind, you're swinging from the shoulder, you're straightening your arm and you're, you're propelling yourself forward. So it is actually an exercise class. Well, Martina, that's absolutely wonderful to hear. It's a very different form of exercise for somebody who wants to try something new and different. But as you say, there are walks of every level going on in the Boyne Valley Trails and the Walking Festival. And so let's let's get everybody out and about moving at whatever level works for yourself. Isn't that the bottom line? That is. And and my classes are for all fitness levels. I would have the slow to moderate, moderate and the fast fitness walk so you know anybody can try it out all right martina we have to leave thank it there so thank you martina farrell of uh, boyne War- nordic walks uh, thank you for joining us um, on lmfm we're going to take a quick break now we have the weekend sports preview as usual with david Sheehan. you're very welcome to the program david and i know we're going to start by talking about the tonga game the w- rugby world cup at, uh, over the weekend in nantes but i do want to talk about romania just for a minute or two just to wallow in the glory of it all a little bit mm. longer is that okay? Wasn't it absolutely incredible? Uh, I don't know if I'm as excited about it as you are. I mean, they were expected to beat Romania very comfortably. I think the fact that they put up 82 points on them was certainly a, a bonus. I think a lot of people maybe expected 50-odd points. Like, they were very impressive, for sure. Um, but I suppose, you know, games against the likes of Romania uh, aren't really going to be the deciding factor in Ireland's Rugby World Cup. But it was great to get off to that good start. And, it, you know, it is important to, to, to get off to the good start and the 12 tries that they ran in as well. Because we'll talk about the Tonga game in a moment. But to put up those scores, points difference could be really important in this group when it comes down to the final analysis. So, yeah, it was it was a brilliant start. Everything went right for them. No injuries. Well, we were saying, yeah, we were saying last week the important thing was no injuries. And I don't know about you, but I was yelling at the television up to after the <laughs> second half, take Johnny Sexton off, take him off. <laughs> yeah, and he had that little scare when he got the try and the, the guy landed on his wrist and we were all holding our breath. At that well, stage, it was funny so because he, he was, you know, he sort of jogged casually nearly into the try that time. And I was saying, will you run Johnny, somebody's going to jump on your back and surely enough, somebody did. Yeah, and he came away from that one with a, with a little bit of a grimace. He, he usually has a grimace on his face, to be fair, Johnny Sexton, but he, he was okay and that was the most important thing. So yeah, and starts again uh, tomorrow. So yeah, it, it, look, great to get off to that winning start. And, and so many, tomorrow. so many incredible players. I know Peter Mahoney got man of the match, but gosh, Bundy Aki was unreal. Joe McCarthy was unreal. Johnny himself, there was so many. It must have been a hard choice for, for whoever chooses these things. <laughs> Yeah, it's a running joke, I think, at this stage, that the back rows always seem to get man of the match in, the, in these games. But yeah, Bundyaki, and, you know, a player that's been in and out of form in recent times, he had his spell on the sidelines with Connacht when he wasn't starting with them and wasn't starting for Ireland. So 
really important for him to get back to playing well and was really impressive last week. Yeah, I'd agree, which I, I would have given man of the match to him, but uh, but we won't argue too much with Peter O'Mahony getting it either. I heard somebody say that our rugby IQ is at a place we haven't seen before. And I said, right, I'm going to ask David, what does that mean exactly? Well, Orla, there's an awful lot of nonsense spoken in, in sport <laughs> in general. And, and rugby seems to attract a lot more of these kind of cliches than than ever before. I suppose when people talk about rugby IQ, they're talking about the, the game intelligence of, of the team, the, the the ability of the players on the pitch to figure things out for themselves rather than needing to be spoon-fed or needing to have a, a, sh- a light shone down onto the pitch as we saw Felix Jones doing last week for South Africa. The players can figure these things out on the pitch and, you know, Johnny Sexton would obviously be considered to be a very, a very smart uh, player tactically and in every other facet of the game. And they do have an awful lot of experience in that team now as well. We talked about Peter O'Mahony. So I guess when people talk about rugby IQ, they're, they're talking about that, that game intelligence and being able to figure problems out on the pitch without having to have the coach spell it out for you at hand. Kind of an intuition or, or turning around or even yeah. the, drop, the drop goals we saw the English player. Like we have, we don't see drop goals and then we get three in a row. That That's kind of instinctive in, in competition, in competition yeah. stress, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's very important for teams because, you know, you, you, you can plan and prepare as well as you can for every match, but there are going to be situations that happen several times in a game, multiple times across a, a competition where you, you can't be looking up to the stands to see right what are we going to do here you know you need to make a decision on the pitch and I think Ireland are very good at doing that and now coming up to to, to uh, Tonga obviously they'll be better than Romania but we we should or should we what do you think will we will we do it I think they should I mean I was just looking at Tonga's pre pre-tournament games and they they lost three out of the five the only teams that they beat were Canada twice who, who haven't qualified but they they were beaten 36-20 uh, by Fiji, and we saw how good Fiji were last week. So Tonga are going to be are going to be no pushovers. It'll certainly be a tougher game than the game against Romania last week. And I was glad to see that they're going with a, a fairly strong 15 again. And I was thinking about this beforehand, like uh, one of the words I wrote down preparing for, for this chat was momentum. I think it's so important to keep that momentum going. You get the win against Romania last week. You go into the game against Tonga, you put out a pretty full-strength team. Again, he's made four changes, but it's still a, a very, very strong 15. So I think they'll be looking to, to again, put points on the board. It's going to be tougher, and I'd say it'll be a very physical game as well. Um, the South Pacific teams generally tend to be quite strong. But I'd expect them to win, but it'll be definitely a stiffer test than last week. And again, we're looking to come through without any injuries. They they are, as you say, the, the Pacific Island teams. They're always big and physical. They're tough games. You know, they always come up with a few surprises. Um, again, I suppose the thing is just hoping that we would avoid injury. Yeah, I mean, getting the win is is, is, is the most important thing. And, and I think they will do that. It will be, I say, as I said, it will be a tougher game, certainly, than last week. But, yeah, you want to come through it. There's going to be, I would say, there'll be a lot of big hits. And the first 15, 20 minutes will be very interesting to see how, how, Tonga, how Tonga approach it. It's their first game of the tournament, remember, as well. So they'll be coming into this fresh and raring to go. So, yeah, first 15, 20 minutes could be fairly bruising, but you'd expect Ireland to come through it in the end. Maybe, I don't know, it's hard to put a score on it. Maybe, maybe 20, 20 odd points of a, of a win or so. I'm not sure exactly how, how that will look in the final analysis. But I think to get the win and come out with any injuries is the, is the main thing, you know. And then looking at some of the other teams in the group, South Africa beating Scotland very handily, always looking very strong, aren't they? Yeah, they, they were good last week. I, I think I was a little bit disappointed with Scotland. Uh, I thought they might bring a little bit more to the party. But they, 
not as disappointed as I was with Argentina, but we might get onto that in a second. But yeah, I thought Scotland might bring a bit more to the party than they did. Um, and it means now that, that you know Scotland really have to beat Ireland um, to, to go through. So that's that's game. That's the final group game. Obviously, that's a few weeks away yet. But uh, yeah, I, I was a bit disappointed with Scotland. You would have expected South Africa probably to win it, but I, I thought that Scotland might put up a little bit more resistance. But it, it's yeah, it's, like it's been a, a very interesting opening week. Yeah, it's like Scotland tries so hard, but they're always the bridesmaid, never the bride, isn't it? And then, as you say, England and Argentina, again, a kind of a sloppy game, a- apart from those wonderful drop goals, I think. Yeah, I mean, George Ford banging them over from the halfway line there. Um, I was really disappointed with Argentina. I was looking forward to that game arguably more than the, the France-New Zealand game because mainly because I thought Argentina would beat England and I was looking forward to seeing that, but it didn't happen at all. They were really, really flat. That's not a great England side as we've seen in the build-up. They're, they're fairly one-dimensional. Um, you know, they kicked a lot of points from 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 the from the field. Um, so yeah, I mean, George Ford's drop goals were, were magnificent. They were awesome, and I it's was, such a, an yeah. underutilized mechanic, the drop goal, and to see it just been pulled yeah, yeah. out in competition is fabulous. Yeah, and from so far out as well, incredible stuff. But yeah, I, it was a disappointment. Like it was great, great performance from England and a great win. But Argentina with the extra man for so long, it was really disappointing from them, and they're going to have to bounce back from that. Obviously, indeed. And I want to move on to the FAI Cup quarterfinals with the draw to United and Bowes game, and with the Galway versus Dundalk what have we to say about that who are you putting your money on oh it's going to be a tough one I'm going to start with the Drogheda game because I'll be covering that one myself um, you know Drogheda haven't they've only won the FAI Cup once in their history and you know you're uh, the man you're sitting in for there Jerry Kelly a proud Drogheda United supporter and he will tell you that that was the, the happiest day of his life when Drogheda won the FAI Cup that was about they 15 the... years ago was it yeah it's a long time ago yeah. now yeah and like they haven't uh, they haven't been in the final since 2013 when they were beaten by Sligo so they're, on, they're having a decent enough season. I mean, staying out of the bottom two is a big thing for them, which they look like they're going to do now. So, yeah, they can have a free crack at this one. And Bohemians, like, they've, Bohemians are obviously better than, than Drogheda as far as the league table goes. But Drogheda, they don't have a great recent record against Bowes, but they've always been really competitive and they've been a bit unlucky to not come away from some of those games against Bohemians with a result. So, I think at home tonight, place is going to be rammed to the, to the rafters. I think it was sold out earlier this week. Bowes are bringing about 650 supporters down as well. So, going to be a cracking game. I'm going to go with Drogheda to sneak through maybe after extra time um, maybe one of those famous nights but uh, I think they're due a win over Bohemians so Well we'll, we'll hear the roars all over Drogheda no doubt and as you say Bo's fourth in the league table Drogheda seventh so fairly close mm. so it'll be a good run for the money and then Galway United versus Dundalk I heard on the sports news earlier Pat Hoban saying Dundalk have to defend better in both boxes they need to do a bit of work here yeah, I think this could be a really tricky one. It's probably, it's, it's always hard when you get to the last four, last eight of a, of a cup. You're going to be meeting tough teams, but Galway United absolutely running away with the first division. They're going to be in the Premier Division next year. Um, and Pat Hoobin, funnily enough, from Galway, but has never come up against them in his, in his career, which is a strange one. But yeah, I think that's going to be a difficult one for Dundalk. They're not in great form at the minute themselves. I'd be a little bit concerned. That could be a shock there. Dundalk have only won one of their last five. I'm going to go for Galway to win that. I think that could be the upset of the round in that one, yeah. OK, well, we've only a minute left, David, but I think you wanted to have a quick look at the Premier League as well. Everton versus Arsenal. I'm a gunner, just be warned. Be careful on me. Hmm. <laughs> well, so am I. So we're, we're, in, good <laughs> good, we're in good company. Yeah, I think, I think I suppose, um, look, Everton have had a terrible start to the season. Arsenal, Arsenal have, have done OK so far. I'd expect Arsenal to win that one. I suppose that the other game that I wanted to look at was Manchester United-Brighton uh, because Brighton in such good form at the moment. Manchester United, not so much. And, and Evan, Evan is Ferguson. supposed to be back. Yeah, yeah well, good. This is the this is the thing. He's recovered from his knee injury, apparently, which I'm sure Stephen Kenny will be looking on with maybe a raised eyebrow. But yeah, I'll be really interested to see how he gets on against Manchester United if he starts at Old Trafford. Um, so yeah, I, I'm hoping Brighton will do the business there and that Evan Ferguson might make an appearance and, and get in the score sheet. We'll wait and see. 
All right, David. Well, listen, we've loads to enjoy in sports over the weekend. Thanks you always, as always, for your wonderful insights and enjoy your commentary tonight now of the uh, the Drogheda game and, and lift the roof there for us if you can. <laughs> Thanks, Orla. Will do. Well, that is where I have to leave it on the uh, late lunch for you. It's been a huge pleasure sitting in for Jerry this week. And as I've said, Barbara Scully is in the hot seat next week. And then we'll let uh, Jerry come on back from his holidays and take over again. A very special thanks to my producer, Louise Walsh, and all the team here at LMFM. Louise, have a great night and best of luck at the Irish Radio Awards. It's been, as I said, a great pleasure uh, having your company over the last week or so. And hopefully it won't be long before I'll be in touch with you all again. And uh, have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.